This episode is brought to you by Zeratech Software Development. Are you a company whose commitment to excellence demands effective software tools? Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help build or enhance your technological systems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. You can find them at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. Hey guys. On today's episode of the podcast, I sat down and chatted with Travis White. Travis is a a handful of things. He's an engineer. He's the owner of CUNA Charters, a Lake Superior Trout and Salmon guide service. Uh, He is a co-founder and part owner of ProNav Marine, a automated trolling motor system. Uh, Check him out, ProNav Marine. And yeah, so he just got into a lot of this history on the fishing side of things, the guiding or the charter fishing, I should say. Uh, So it's fun to hear about that, where that came from, what fishing has meant to him. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one. Welcome to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm your host, Logan Herkus. In this podcast, we get to meet and hear from folks who are obsessed with a wide array of interesting endeavors. We dive into some awesome stories and look at the mindsets and the psychology of those who are obsessed. Let's go. Okay, I'm curious for you, we'll dive all over the place, right? But I'm curious for you, what's number one? Is it the fishing charters? I mean, you get so many different areas to explore, but like if you're talking to somebody on a flight and they ask you, what do you do? Of course you do many different things, but what are you most excited to talk to them about or what keeps you up on a Saturday night? Or what are you, if you had to pick one thing, what are you into the most? Yeah, I would say for me, it's uh, definitely the fishing. Okay. Um, it's, you know, really, I guess the better word is exploring. You okay. know, I love exploring and I think fishing is a great, a uh, great way to explore, hmm. you know, what's around you. So, uh, if I have a day off, if I'm not chartering, typically I'm going somewhere new, looking for something different, you know, trying, trying some different, uh, tactics. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's a really fun way to explore the surrounding that we've got here. Right. No, cause that we just were talking about turkey hunting right before we started. And then also your, your wife, Jane was talking about, uh, some deer tracking that you did. So I wanted to pick your brain about that too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I, my first year deer hunting was, uh, 2011. That was the year I graduated Michigan tech. Okay. And, uh, prior to that, you know, I'd had curiosity, but never a lot of opportunity to do it. And, uh, you know, so being naive, I guess was the, the best gift at that time. And just go out and start, you know, seeing what you see. Um, and I really got into just kind of wandering the big woods, you know, and yeah. I guess you call it tracking, you find a track, you start to go after it somewhere along the way, you you know, tend to veer off, you know, you find a different track or you see a deer. Um, but that was kind of the way I started out deer hunting without any real, uh, background or sort of upbringing in it. My dad was a pretty avid deer hunter, but I really didn't have a lot of, uh, opportunity when I was younger to, to participate with him. So it was a lot of kind of self-teaching and, uh, up here in these big woods method that just kind of made sense was to just, you know, walk around until you see a deer you know you could sit in one spot for a long time as you know up here and never see a deer yeah. so um that's how i started out and i've learned a lot about the woods up here and the deer and uh i've also kind of gained an appreciation for you know how hard it is to have that connection so i didn't shoot my first deer until 2018 yeah. so that was the learning curve yeah. <laughs> it was just you know one year after another just miles and miles and miles in the boots but um i think the thing that really 
struck with me, uh, you know, was kind of that, that rush of getting on a good track, you know, walking through a day in that deer's life, um, you know, thinking about when I first started hunting 2011, 2012, I, I, believe that was probably one of the peaks of deer numbers in the mm-hmm. Tiwana. And, uh, you know, I wish I knew what I knew now as we yeah. were just talking <laughs> back then, because I think my first year could have been a tremendous success. Um, but you know, I was just learning it. So after that, the deer hunting seemed like it got tougher and it took a lot of time to put the pieces together. But, um, that's one of the things I've kind of enjoyed doing with my wife the last few years. And I think for her getting into deer hunting, I don't think she had a lot of, uh, interest in just sitting in a stool waiting for a deer to walk by (laughs) so um you know she seemed to enjoy that that walking and just kind of you know more just going for a hike in the woods with a gun i think her uh you know her dad has done a lot of that type of hunting and i think that just resonated better with her uh you know also you know she's a small person so she gets cold when she sits down so i think being active and that style active hunting where you just walk out of the house and something that's kind of warm but yeah you know you're taking layers off from there um i think that made sense so this year finally it it, it all worked out for her and for i that uh, we ended up tracking deer and both being successful getting deer tracking um both of those times you know out of their bed which you know that's kind of I would say maybe one of the holy grails if you watch any of these uh big woods hunting episodes or you know you read the books uh you know with the benoits or you you know the podcast with hell blood and these guys who are doing it um you know catching up to that deer in its bed that's what it's all about yeah and this year was the first year that happened for for my myself but also for her so that was really cool being right behind her when it happened (laughs) (laughs) oh you were with her when she got her i was with her i was actually tagged out for the first time ever on the second day of gun season it's like that's never happened to me before right so i said oh let's go hunting <laughs> yeah crazy so did you get both years during rifle season up here yeah one was opening day morning and uh the very next day about you know 22 hours later unreal <laughs> so and uh i also had a, a third really exciting encounter in between those two okay um so yeah the opening day i you know we hunted up towards the tip of the Keweenaw, and i've been up there for many many years hunting with kind of the same group of guys and it's you know if, if you've been up there it's big woods it's wide open country in parts and dense and others but there's not a lot of deer and i really don't know why we hunt up there mm-hmm. aside from uh you've got a lot of room to roam and you don't see a lot of people uh typically um it does seem like it's getting busier up there but you know despite that uh you know we blundered into a few deer this year and i think it was just literally kind of the right place at the right time but yeah um opening morning i didn't have a, a whole lot of a plan besides just getting down into an area i'd hunted previous years and was kind of kind of familiar with and once i got down in there i started seeing tracks and sign and uh that year i didn't uh track per se but i kind of blind calling hmm. and uh, this guy walked right up to me like 15 yards away popped out between two little spruce and oh man it wasn't the biggest deer but i said man this is a cool way to get one so i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna take the first shot i've ever had in this area and make it happen so yeah yeah and then the next day the the next buck i got was about half a mile from that one huh. <laughs> so unreal but you said a third encounter yeah the third encounter so that second morning i you know got out there crack of dawn and i i knew there was a good buck in the area where i got that one the prior day uh just based on the sign i was seeing rubs and scrapes and you know there's there were some old tracks in there, but nothing super fresh that first day. And, uh, that second morning parked the truck. I, I bet you, you know, again, here's where luck comes into this. 
I might have walked 100 yards down the road from the truck and I just see all this uh, intense, you know, tracks crossing the road, uh, very fresh, you know, since, uh, you know, since it dusted the night before, you know, they were, they were probably made just before daybreak, does and uh, probably what looked like a couple different bucks potentially. So I just cut into the woods straight in from that. And, uh, you know, I maybe, I don't know, maybe like 75 yards off the road. And uh, I, I just catch a little bit of movement off through the brush. I start, you know, a little bit of grunting and I actually brought that deer right back around. And uh, all of a sudden I'm staring at a deer. Later I measured it out 18 yards from me. Unreal. A big rack. He just, you know, I never saw his body, but I saw his head and his face and his rack popped up. And uh, that was just, you know, a deer. I just kind of, I mean, I'll say I blundered into it. I did did follow the sign into the woods, but that's how short a tracking job could be. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, Unreal. Yeah. Yeah, because that's something, that whole world is something I've been pretty excited about. The last, Since I moved back here from out west, it was just hard. You, you hunt out there, and it's such a mobile, active style of hunting. It's hard. It was hard just hard for me to get back into it here of sitting in a tree stand right mm-hmm. and then again back to that adventure side of things i feel like that must be it for you hey like you get into it for the same deal with the fishing side of things you're looking for new country or see new yeah. places and stuff hey? yeah it's exactly i need a i guess i personally seem to need an activity to do when i'm going for a hike and, yeah you know hunting is a great thing to occupy your mind and you're constantly thinking and looking and kind of observing everything around you in a way that I wouldn't if I was just going for a walk. <laughs> right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, and I could go on all day on the hunting side of things and maybe we will later, but I, I, if you don't mind, I want to get to the fishing side. What was fishing for you? I mean, fishing at age three and it's been that way ever since, or what, what was that world? Yeah, pr- pretty well. Uh, fishing was the thing that I really got into growing up, um, you know, primarily with my dad, but you know, my, uh, my grandpa, I uh, was also a part of that, and uh, it, it was really right around that two or three years old where I remember, I don't really remember, but I, I look back at pictures of standing on the bank catching suckers, you know, I mean, just real basic uh, action fishing, the type of stuff that, that kids can get into, and yeah. uh, I think it was just kind of the whole the whole thing, you know, the stream side ecology, you know, playing with the bugs, catching the frogs, I mean, just kind of learning about the, the outdoors in that, that way. And, uh, as I grew up, you know, and got older, uh, one of the, you know, one of the first things I did when I was, uh, of age to really take an interest to it was I got my boater safety card. I realized you could drive a boat before you could drive a car. So the age is 12 <laughs> in Michigan. <laughs> so I got the boater safety card at 12 and my parents, uh, for some reason, trust me enough to let me go off, you know, in front of the house, at least uh, we grew up in the St. Mary's river. So, okay. uh, the, the water was literally our front yard. So I think that probably played a role in that. But, uh, I think, you know, uh, boating is just as much a part of the fishing that I enjoy. Uh, and, uh, I think it's, you know, I, I heard, you know, someone on your podcast here recently talking about flying. It's kind of that, that freedom where you're just on a, you know, wide open surface and you can go anywhere. Right. So I think that's a big part of the allure. And then having Lake Superior in your backyard is a pretty inspiring environment for, uh, being a boater. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I wonder how many people in the fishing world is the boat, like, are you different? It feels like that's a little bit unique on the, on the boating being as much or more of an excitement than the fishing side of things. Yeah, it's, it's definitely part of it. Uh, you know, especially if you, especially if you're not spending more time working on your boat than fishing in it. So (laughs) yeah, you know, some people I've fished with guys, uh, you know, a few fellows around here who I think they enjoyed fixing and working on their boat as much as they did the fishing. So I don't know that I'm unique. I think it's just, uh, um, it's a part of it. 
Yeah. And I think in Lake Superior, you know, it's fun to fish in different places. It's, you know, it's really boring for me to fish in the same place twice, you know, day to, you know, day after day. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that is part of it where you just, you know, you got this big outboard motor, you fire it up and you, you know, you go until you find somewhere new and interesting to fish. Yeah. Did you have like at those younger ages, like when you were 12, that first time going out on that boat, did you have a moment where like, holy crap, this is freedom or whatever. Did you have that, that, and that's still what you're enjoying and appreciating today? Or, or is it just a slow and steady evolution or, or initially or later? What did that look like? Yeah, it's, it's hard to really think, uh, you know, back to that specific point, but you know, thinking about it right now i would have to say it was just that sense of freedom you know it's like i i've left the house uh, there's no oversight my parents are trusting me to be out here you know i um I just i've got a boat and some gas and a, you know fishing pole and some worms let's go yeah. you know it's the ability to explore and uh yeah just kind of check out the outdoors on your own pace mm-hmm. so i yeah i guess that was really it and then i think over time i you know the fishing got more and more technical and uh, you know catching the fish obviously that's a fun part of it you know that the tug is the drug it's certainly something that the more you do it tends to to hook you a little deeper and deeper and um kind of fuels a you know fuels a little fire i you know i feel like that's common for a lot of fishermen they start out real basic and then they just get real advanced and then at some point you get to a point now where it's uh you know my biggest enjoyment of fishing is going out and finding the fish figuring out where they're at and why they're there and maybe figuring out how to catch them but uh, the favorite part is not just reeling in the fish you know it's actually the the whole process of going out into this thirty-two thousand square mile lake and finding a fish because there's a you know it's kind of the rule of uh you know 90 percent of the water doesn't have the fish so you know 90 uh, percent of the fish are in 10 percent of the water is you know kind of the other way around mm-hmm. and uh i think that presents a real challenge that you can just occupy yourself with continuously yeah right and as soon as you think you got them figured out they'll teach you that you don't probably or no yeah absolutely yeah yeah you know it's like no is you know there's two days that can be the same but you know in general things change pretty quick out there the weather is a big factor uh time of year is a big factor so um i think you know fishing around the keweena after i graduated uh one of the biggest things that you know challenged me was figuring out the pattern and the seasonality um because that's you know really every year everything kind of repeats itself at some point in terms of where you're fishing so you know in the springtime you start out really shallow uh, you fish around the creek mouths and in the stained water that's running off from shore and the fish are kind of concentrated there so that's the that's the 10 percent of the water you need to be in um, as summer kind of gets going you know the waters warm up uh, that changes a lot the fish kind of scatter and disperse so now now they're a little more kind of widely distributed and you know some days you go out and just throw some lines in the water and drag them blindly and catch fish. But then there's days where, uh, you know, there's, you know, phenomenons like currents or, uh, wind, you know, wind blown, you know, scum lines and such that really concentrate those fish back into an area. And that's probably the difference between a really memorable day and just a okay day is kind of figuring out that one little factor where, you know, you can kind of key in and find, uh, you know, that concentration of fish and that makes for a fun day of fishing. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I want to hear more about the fishing, but for whatever reason, what grabs me right now is like the adventure side of it. Right. Uh, and curious for you, so many angles at it, but like that was there when you first started 
and again, it's probably hard. You fish so many times, it's hard to picture these pinpoint examples, but it was there when you first started, it's still there today. Like in a way that fishing has allowed you to maintain that childlike curiosity and drive for adventure, which is awesome. I feel mm-hmm. like, or I guess, do you think that's true? And then like, ha- has that been apparent in other parts of your life? Cause I feel like it's a shame when, when kids become adults and just let it go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, well, I would say, uh, does it bring back that childlike sense of adventure? I, I think the answer is yes. And I'm just thinking specifically to, uh, you know, that kind of just raw delight when you go out there on a beautiful morning, you you know, you're cruising across the lake and then all of a sudden you, you know, pull the throttle back and you set the lines and bam, you're on fish, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't happen that first time. Maybe it's the third or fourth move of the day, but yeah, there's definitely a kind of that, you know, that just real, uh, yeah, pure delight that comes out of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to replicate. Right. Um, in terms of other things that do that for me, I, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction out of hunting. It's just another great outlet to be outside, you know, on land. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's very, very parallel to the fishing on water, you know, being, you know, hunting on land and that kind of ability to explore and just kind of, you know, roam. Um, if I had to just pick between the two, I would say I probably would, you know, if I had to, I'd probably go with the fishing because I, I do enjoy that water element, but, um, I, I do get the same satisfaction out of hunting, um, maybe a little more frustration because I started later and, um, I feel like my learning curve is, you know, steeper, you know, try to get caught up to where, where I want to be, you know, having success, but, um, it's coming together. And I think, you know, I, I do some really fun things hunting, but it's more of a, you know, I guess I view myself more as just a, a, an everyday hunter or a, an amateur, I guess you could say, whereas fishing, I, you know, I've gotten to a point where I can truly say, yep, I consider myself a professional at the fishing and what I do, you mm-hmm. know, having that knowledge that, you know, you can really only produce by tens of thousands of hours of doing something. Right. Right. Do you, are you a frequent reader or have you seasoned your life? Do you read quite a bit? Yeah. Most of my reading right now is probably in the form of, you know, articles, um, you know, short format publications. Um, I was never a huge novel reader, you know, when I was young, you know, maybe high school, uh, I'd get into certain, you know, novels, uh, just to kind of pass time. But, um, yeah, I just don't have the, the real, uh, I guess the patience of just sitting down in one spot, uh, flipping through pages for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess I like to be moving a little bit more. Right. Right. No, I'm just curious again, that whole theme of like the adventure. And then again, I turn a lot of it into like uh, a story, like a lifetime story. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, And then even tie that back into like, look, some people do this more than others. I've learned uh, just through a lot of these conversations of looking at your life as a story and romanticizing a lot of it, like a lot of the adventures that you've been on, stuff like that. And I feel like it can all uh, tie back into again, that like maintaining that curiosity and that sense for adventure that potentially a lot of people leave behind you know what i mean and it feels like for you fishing it keeps you there oh sure in a way like it can mold your brain and keep you uh young curious and willing to look into different things or whatever you know i don't know how how to say that even but yeah well it keeps you engaged um you know when you have a hobby like that where you spend as much time thinking about it as you do doing it yeah (laughs) i would say that's a pretty good engagement um you know that is probably most of my reading currently is reading you know technical articles or you know 
literature or watching you know a lot of videos um, trying to learn and see what other people are doing um, also where other people are going you know in terms of the adventure and destinations um, you know uh, my wife and I have been doing more and more kind of travel you know now that we're uh, you know, getting into a better position where we can do that in our life. You know, mm-hmm. it's not as uh, difficult to, to take a trip in the middle of winter and um, having the means, you know, as part of that, but having the time as the other. So um, we've been prioritizing more, you know, out of town, out of state travel and trying to take in just totally new experiences, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, you know, through doing that, kind of realize there's just no end to the possibilities of, you know, what one can do in a lifetime with that one hobby. You right. know, and that's what's so great about a hobby that's um just as much about the place and the process as it is about the actual activity mm-hmm. we were kind of hinting at it like before we got on is and steve Renella, you listen to meteor yeah, much at all I, or have you yep. he'll talk frequently about the two types of people in the hunting and fishing world one is the type of guy who the good old days are gone the dnr screwed up everything too many other fishermen and the other guys is like there's not enough time in the day you know like <laughs> yeah. you can never fill what right. there is to do and i feel like you fit in that more of that second role right like the, you'll yeah. never have enough time to accomplish what you yeah that's you could i would say i definitely agree with that uh, there's never enough time um you know i i tend not to dwell too much on what the uh, the good old days were although i do have a pretty strong sense of uh you know conservation and wanting to be involved in making positive impacts on right on the resources that everybody's using, you know, just, uh, strictly as a function of, you know, there's more people now than there's ever been. And these, you know, these spaces aren't getting any larger. So, you know, thinking about how do we engage new participants to these outdoor sports, you know, women, kids, you know, people that have never done it in their lifetime, but balancing that with, uh, you know, having a resource that's not, uh, in decline. And that's, you know, that's part of what, you know, what the charters, I think is a, a balance is, you know, there's, in certain places, there's an expectation where you go on a charter boat, you're going out there and, you know, uh, some people, the goal is to catch a limit of fish and bring them home, which I would say is definitely not a way I would describe uh, getting on a charter on my boat. So I hope people don't have that expectation, but, um, I tend to treat it much more as an educational experience and, mm-hmm. and an experience, you know, just the, the whole process and like participating, you know, uh, allowing, you know, somebody that I've never met to hop on the boat and start touching rods and playing with the equipment and, and showing them how that all works and why, why we're doing what we're doing. So, um, it's a balance, you know, between that, that thought of there's never enough time to do all these things and, and, and the kind of the sentiment of the good old days. But, um, you know, I guess that's kind of where I see conservation kind of coming in the middle of that. Sure. Sure. What's that? I want to get back into the fishing side of things, that world. Where did that, because again, you were serious about it at a young age, you got more and more technical. How did you go from, like, I'm curious through your college years, post-college, what was fishing for you during that whole time? And how did you go from, hey, I like fishing a lot and I'm really technical about it to starting up the charter business? And then I probably got some follow-up questions on the charter. Sure. Things. Yeah. So, you know, fishing, fishing throughout high school was kind of a, uh, you know, almost an everyday activity, you yeah. know, kind of nights and weekends and whenever I could, uh, you know, either get out with my dad or, you know, just to just get out on my own with friends and, you know. Uh, I guess I will say it's kind of an interesting comment. I don't fish strictly uh, solitary a lot, which is very different than hunting, right? So right. Um, fishing for me is also a big part of the uh, connection with other people and kind of that social, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a, it's a social hobby as well. Um, but throughout high school, you know, one of the things I always felt was like, you know, none of my friends want to go fishing. You know, it was hard to <laughs> convince somebody or, you know, your friends had other things going on and they 
couldn't commit that full day without anything on the schedule, which, you know, if you, if you know a lot of fishermen, you know, that's the worst thing you can do is get on their boat. If you got to be home at like three o'clock, right, right. <laughs> you know, cause you get out there and it's just kind of, you lose track of time and stuff happens and you want to be able to adapt to whatever the day offers, you know, and that, uh, that experience of not having a hard stop is really a, it's kind of a special thing that I think a lot of people lose throughout their life as they get busier and busier. Um, but, you know, as I got into college, you know, I was certainly fishing a little more on a schedule and a budget then just on account of, you know, classes and, uh, you know, living, uh, you know, living in a place that I'm paying for for the first time. And, um, it wasn't ever about, you know, putting a meal on the table, although that was a nice benefit at that time. Um, but you know, I did actually find some good, uh, friends and connections throughout college that really seemed to enjoy the same types of outdoor experiences and fishing in particular as I did. So, um, you know, we made a pretty good effort of trying to get on the water, you know, out of a canoe or a kayak or, uh, fishing in the streams or ice fishing. And, uh, you know, I'd say a lot of that fishing was very exploratory still, but, uh, you know, looking back on it, it's like, it was a lot simpler and just, you know, very, very basic, which is yeah, it was super fun at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now, uh, you know, after college, you know, when I, uh, decided to take a job in the Keweenaw area, the very first thing I you know, prioritized was getting a, a boat that I could get onto Lake Superior with, you know, comfortably, reliably. And for me, I've probably always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug. And looking at the economics of buying a really expensive boat and all that equipment, it's a really hard thing to justify just strictly as a hobby. So, um, you know, I kind of came to that conclusion, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well charter and take folks out and you know, they'll help pay for gas and my boat payments and I'll, you know, be able to share that time and experience with them. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, meeting a lot of interesting people along the way has been a kind of a fun part of that, uh, you know, business, uh, endeavor of it, but, um, still I'm out there doing what I enjoy doing, which is, you know, not just the fishing, but spending the time, you know, on, on that water, uh, you know, every day. Right. Right. And, and so what was that path like? I mean, it was in my head, I picture it being, well, I, I don't want to say what's in my head. I'm just, I'm just curious, like the, the thought entering your head of the charter side of things to actually making that happen was it pretty seamless. I mean, it sounded like it was like you said, an entrepreneurial side of things, but was it pretty seamless? Was it a long thing? Was it scary? What did that look like? Yeah. You know, I, I guess it probably, um, you know, the actual charter side of things probably even started a little sooner than, uh, finishing college because I, uh, I went and got my captain's license uh, as soon as I was 18. So that's the age you have to, you know, be to get a captain's license from the coast guard. Um, so I, I guess I would have been just finishing up high school around that time. And I think, you know, that was just kind of a natural progression of, uh, you know, uh, learning, you know, as a, as a mariner is kind of looking at, you know, how can I learn uh, more skills and, uh, you know, different things and, um, getting a captain's license was a really neat, you know, there's a course like a nine week course I took and, hmm. um, the, the sea service time and, you know, spending the time on the water. Uh, I think that helped to develop a lot of, you know, skills and just kind of awareness. Um, but the other thing is, uh, you know, I, I basically had the opportunity right away throughout college to use that license, um, taking folks out fishing, uh, you know, in the Sioux, uh, nights and weekends on my parents' boat. So, you know, hmm. I kind of leveraged, uh, you know, the, the family boat to, to start doing the charters, I guess you could say. Um, so really when I graduated up here and decided I wanted to be in the area, you know, looking at how do I get this big lakes boat? Um, it was just a pretty natural progression from there. You know, it's like, yep, I'm going to, I'm going to form a, a business in this area. I'm going to, you know, market it as, you know, keeping charters, you know, kind of location-based business and, 
um, yeah, it's, it's just kind of naturally grown from there. Right. Okay. And so I'm curious about this people side of things, right? Because I feel like, again, that's a lot of what I'm interested in is like sales, customer relations, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and absolutely that's applicable in the charter world, right? It's a lot about the experience that you give and the relationships that you have with these folks, right? Compared to just the straight technicalities of how good right. you are at fishing. And did that come naturally to you early on? Or did you have a big learning curve there? What, what's that been like? Like, were you comfortable with it or was it a necessary evil? Did you enjoy mm. it? Where did you get to from there? Yeah. I, I think I'm fortunate that my personality has always been kind of, uh, not, extroverted but uh very accommodating to meeting new people and you know striking up conversations with somebody i don't really know um and you know part of that is finding ways to connect around things that you both have in common or are interested in Mm -hmm. um i don't think that's ever been a real challenge for me but you know fortunately the people that are you know finding me you know electing to come fishing on a charter generally are interested in fishing or hunting or both uh, outdoors activities travel um, so I find it's just very easy to connect with people on common experiences and interests. Yeah. Um, so that, that was a, for sure a strength, I guess, to me being able to successfully start a charter fishing business. And I can say having fished with other guides and captains, you know, as a client, um, not all of them have that skill. Right. You know, some of them are very serious about the fishing and that, you know, they, it almost takes the fun out of it a little bit mm-hmm. when they're so focused on that. Um, Whereas other, you know, most of the guys I've fished with have been very, you know, good teachers, very patient and uh, great people persons or people, people. Right. Um, and I do think, you know, if I was going to tell somebody, you know, what is that number one skill to, to be a charter fisherman? It really is focusing on the, the, the people and um, the relationships of your business. Because, you know, at the end of the day, the fishing is fishing. They might not bite. Um on a tough day of fishing, you're relying a lot more on your personality and your connections with your clients to have an enjoyable day in the water mm-hmm. than, than the fish coming into the boat. Right. Right. And I'm curious for you, it feels like there's a thing where, and again, it's got to ebb and flow, but like the, the people component of it ends up being a big deal. Like the, again, the relationships on top of like it being an effective way to have your business, it ends up being, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, uh, more than just effective, it ends up being important to you too. Is that a thing? Yeah, that, I would say that's a thing. Um, you know, I've I made a lot of really strong connections through the through the fishing that you know don't just end when people get off the boat, right? Um, and I I think in terms of why I keep doing it is because I've I can really say I've never had a terrible experience with people mm-hmm. coming on my boat that I didn't know prior to that. Um, you know, I've heard all sorts of horror stories from other captains, but you know, we're just, maybe we're lucky to be in a location where the types of, uh, you know, folks coming through the Keweenaw for, you know, their vacations or whatever it might be are just, you know, generally really great people. And, uh, those connections have been super easy to make. Yeah. And yeah, it feels like if you don't have that, of course you can learn and grow and whatever else, but if you don't have the ability to at least grow within the people world, like you said, on the charter side, it probably won't work long-term, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, well, you're definitely not going to be a popular uh, charter captain if you're, you know, known as Captain Grumpy or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah, and there, yeah, there are those guys out there, and maybe you know, maybe they're really great fishermen. But yeah, the any sort of service business is really about you know interpersonal skills first. I think. Yeah. Um, 
you know, as you could probably relate to in your line of work, you know, you're establishing a connection with people who then, you know, trust you and build a relationship. And Mm -hmm. it's really no different than any other type of business uh, in that respect. And I think I see that, you know, reciprocated to me in the term, uh, in the form of uh, repeat business and clients that come back year over year or every few years. And uh, you kind of develop these, you know, deeper connections with people over that time. And, and so, but through this, whole trajectory you're a mechanical engineer where did you go to school i went to school right here at michigan tech okay uh and still working as a mechanical engineer yeah uh, involved with pronav have you do any other business ventures too that i'm i'm uh, missing or no we my wife and i are trying to remodel a house maybe do a, a little airbnb but uh that's been a two-year project so far with no sure. clients <laughs> sure sure uh, so i guess i'm just curious on i guess from the outside looking in i feel like the charter side of things is something that is interesting, intriguing. I've, I don't know if I ever will, but it debated somewhat doing a similar thing for on mm-hmm. the hunting side up here. Right. Uh, and I'm always curious and I've been curious about this a lot is like, what's it like when you get to the other side? Is it a trap? No, I'm not literally, but you know what I mean? Like, or even anything, anything in life, you see people on the other side and you picture it to be a certain way and you never know until you actually get there. Right. What is it like? Yeah. Uh, and so if you could ask that person, like a, a college professor, Hey, what's your life? Like uh, a doctor, a lawyer, a charter boat captain, like give me the, the truth of what your life is like or what, what it's like compared to what you perceived or something like that. I guess that's what I'm mm. curious about. Like yeah. the charter side of things, would you recommend it? Um, you know, living that, lifestyle and it goes there's so many variables yeah there, there is a lot uh, <clears throat> yeah i think i can run with that question because there, there there is a lot of uh factors in it so at the end of the day you know i always describe my business as a you know it's a business first you mm-hmm. know I, I try to run it as such where my goal is to have a profit and that's you know a, a return on my time invested into it um you know in reality um, when you pursue passion businesses, there's often very little, you know, pure monetary profit. Mm-hmm. So you have to find value in the other things, which, you know, for me having uh, a boat that I'm really excited about operating and uh, equipment that's top of the line and, um, you know, those things are factors, you know, having the, having the t-shirts with my own logo on them, that's kind of a fun benefit. But, um, you know, if you're just strictly looking at, you know, um, how can I make the most money doing my hobby? I don't think that charter fishing would be that, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it's great. It's, you know, during the season where it's going, you know, the summer, um, it's steady, but, uh, on the flip side of that is you're, you're really kind of forced to cram a lot of, you know, work into a very short time frame, which does take away from your own personal, uh, R and R, you know, your leisure trips, um, you know, it gets to be very difficult to, schedule a day off in the summer where you know that, you know, that day is a significant part of your business revenue for that year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause we have about a three month, you know, hardcore season and a few months that are kind of fringe months. Um, so that's, that's the trade off is, you know, you gotta want to do it. You gotta be committed to it. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of work that happens, you know, in front of and behind the scenes. Um, you know, just literally getting the boat, you know, from your, your house to the lake, coming home and, uh, you know, getting all the maintenance done on that. Um, you know, it's definitely a lifestyle. So that boat is hooked up to my truck, you know, probably maybe 10 hours for everyone. It's not during the summer months. Mm -hmm. So that's what I do pretty much. (laughs) Um, So I think that's a trade off is, you know, uh, when you pursue a passion in that way and make it your business, um, you know, you're, 
you're always working you know you can't you can't look at it as not being work because it, it really is and there's days where maybe you don't you know have as uh you know personal of clients as other days and you know those days especially feel like work when you're you know they're kind of doing your best and uh you know trying to meet expectations and such but mm-hmm. um i will say in terms of on the flip side of that if a guy's got to work to make a living you know it's a really fun way to to make that living or part of that living for me yeah and um you know, I compare that to the time I spend in an office environment or, you know, on the road doing a trade show or some other type of activity for my other business. Um, you know, the hours I spend on the boat are probably my favorite hours at work. Right. <laughs> so right. I, I'm curious uh, along that same line for you, like the thought process of me doing that someday, again, I have no idea, but if I did say I took the fall and I guided deer hunters up here, mm-hmm. for example, it'd be, I could get more into the details of what I've got in mind. But anyways, the thought process for me is in my current life structure, I get to spend say 10 days of fall out in the woods. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you're guiding, you could spend three months right? Uh, and do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're taken away from your family, mm-hmm. uh, feels that it's still productive, right? Cause it, it seems like it'd be selfish and like willy nilly for me to just take three months off and go hunt. Right. Right. Whereas, yeah. whereas yeah. if I'm guiding, there's an income component sure. to it, but you still, now you're in a position where you get to live for three months mm-hmm. in the woods, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and I, yeah, I guess what's your thoughts on that? Does that ring true for you or is that, yeah. I would say that's fairly accurate. Um, you know, it's, it is a good way to do what you want to do, uh, for a lot more time. You know, there's, uh, I mean, there's so many friends that, uh, you know, I can think of that would just love to be on the water every day. Yeah. Um, you know, and for the most part for me, you know, nine of those 10 days, I totally agree. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is awesome. You know, there's yeah. that one out of 10 where you're really, you know, it's like, oh, this is kind of work, you know, mm-hmm. the weather's crummy or you're, you know, you're dealing with mother nature or clients or whatever it might be. But, um, it is a great way to do what you love to do more. And, uh, I, I think all the points you brought up about, you know, the obligations with family and, uh, you know, spending the time with them, if you can keep it, you know, if you can structure it in a way that really works well so that it, it is just like going to an office from eight to five and in a sense, you know, it's predictable, it's structured and it, it provides those, you know, those same type of stable components. Um, you know, that's how I've kind of tried to gear my business more and more over time is to just make it, um, you know, so it's predictable and it allows me to be out there more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it's intriguing. You know, again, I don't know. And you don't never know till you get in it and you actually feel it for yourself. Um, so we'll see, we'll see. Uh, but I'm curious for you too, on the, on the charter side of things, you, you, you hinted at when you were younger, it, it was very simple. Like you didn't know a lot of things, but it was very mm-hmm. simple. Now I'm picturing to the point now you've got all kinds of crazy electronics and gear and technical to the nine right. to the nth degree, right? <laughs> yeah. Which has got to be fun and exciting because you something to, to think about and, work, and be engaged in. But mm-hmm. do you miss or romanticize some of that simpler times before you had all that? I, you know, I don't know if I really miss it, but. Um when I stop to reflect on it, it's like, geez, things were simpler, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot to be said for simple. And if, you know, if somebody is just listening to this and thinking, how can I enjoy my hobby uh, and what I'm doing? It doesn't have to be complex and it doesn't have to be done professionally. You know, it's any way you can figure out how to incorporate what you love doing more into your life and do it in a way that still keeps you engaged and, you know, bringing satisfaction and pleasure. Um, that's a win. So, um, you know, for me, I kind of look at the technical aspects of what I'm doing now is 
it's a way that's actually very stimulating and engaging. Um, you know, being an engineer and having a kind of a technology background, I really kind of get excited and geek out on, you know, the latest in sonars and chart plotting and, um, you know, autopilots and navigating the boat. I mean, it's just all part of it. So, um, just like any, just like anything, you know, it, it can be simple or it can be complex. And I, I think I would have just as much fun in the simple realm, but, um, I think I would miss the, the, some of the fun aspects of what technology adds to the sport for me right now. Yeah. And you do get, you do have a thing where once you are exposed to that technology, it'd be hard to go back like a Vexlar ice fishing, right? That's such a perfect example. Cause I, I do remember like the first year where I fished with a, a an ice fishing, uh, fish finder. And it was kind of one of those things that after that year, if you went out and your battery wasn't charged or the thing died, you almost stopped fishing because it's like, I can't, I can't engage the way I was, you know, it's, uh, it's like being blind, I guess is kind of what I would say. But, um, so yeah, once you, it's one of those things, like the more, you know, the, (laughs) the harder it is to go back to that, that simplicity, I guess. Yeah. Forrester Research interviewed 206 senior technology leaders in major organizations responsible for software development sourcing. 63% said their software development service partners do not have a full understanding of their end customer. If you're dead serious about moving faster and getting more done, Zeratech Software Development can help you move forward with confidence. Let the team at Zeratech Software Development help solve your problems with mobile, web, and backend solutions. As they align with their clients, they use a proven method to understand the scope of the problem and help demystify the steps to make it go away. They will deliver the software solution you need, and they do it with the integrity that you'd expect from a family-owned business in the heartland of America. Schedule a call with the team at Zeratech today at zeratech.com. That's X-E-R-A-T-E-C.com. So I'm curious... Do you have examples or what's, what's some of your favorite moments with clients of like, I'm picturing the person who's never fished before caught their first fish or caught their record lake trout or, uh, somebody who the experience was quite different than what they expected or somebody who dragged somebody else along. And then it turned out that it was really enjoyable for that person. Do you have that happen a lot? Or do you have any specific stories that you can pull from? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's always uh, some interesting stories. Um, you know, the funny thing is a lot of times when you have one of those epic moments out there and if, you know, me as somebody that fishes Lake Superior a lot, um, I have this perspective of, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how rare it might be to catch this exceptional fish or, you know, a certain thing happens and uh, how, how unlikely that thing might've been to happen. Um, the interesting thing is a lot of times clients have no concept. Um, you know, they just don't have the expectations or they don't have the kind of that local knowledge and framework to really even understand what just happened you know so uh, for example this summer I was with a a family uh, mom dad two kids and we were uh, we were trolling off the the Keweenaw and things were great catching lots of fish and then all of a sudden the board goes back and an hour and a half later we land this fish it was like 45 inches long unreal it was uh, 41 or 42 pounds it was a tagged lake trout um the DNR tagged it uh, way back in 2013. The fish had grown three inches in that time. It was just Unreal. phenomenal. Um, but, you know, it's like it was one of those funny things where this happens with this family who I think that was really their first type of trip like this. So they have no frame of reference of what just happened. So I feel like part of my job 
having these very short time span interactions with people is to help them, you know, understand, uh, to build that excitement and help them understand uh, how significant that was. So that's something I always, <laughs> you know, my hype is pretty high when stuff like that happens and then trying to like convey, like, do you realize this, you know, this happens like once in a millennium type thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be the same thing. Like if somebody came up here and walked out in the woods and, you know, say they were hunting with you and just walked up to a bedded buck the first day they hunted. Right. Yeah. Um, it would be that same exact thing. Like, you know, uh, beginner's luck, whatever you want to call it, but they have no way to appreciate it. So I think that's part of my job as the guide is to kind of, you know, let them know that was a really exceptional thing that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much of them think you're pulling their leg because you can kind of feel that, right? Right. Thing yeah. where the guy's like, "Oh yeah, he sure he tells everybody right. that." Right. You know? <laughs> and that's the thing; it's a balance because you don't want to play up everything because no, right? you know it's like, yeah. I, I guess you know, I it is good to always be excited about everything. I, you know, I'll take that last statement back a little bit because you know when you get a family out who's never or you know whoever it is who's never interacted with the big lake never caught a lake trout you know whatever it might be first fish biggest fish uh most fish you know it's all exciting to them yeah um and it's all relative to their experiences too so i have found that generally it's very easy to meet people's expectations because they seem to they seem to arrive without too many very hard to meet expectations mm -hmm. and just sort of a, a lack of awareness of what to expect. So, um, when you go out and you just have a great day, I mean, people really seem to get excited and appreciate that. Um, but yeah, then there's those just crazy things that happen that it's like, all right, guys, I really got to tell you, this doesn't happen every day. Right. Um, right. so yeah, that's a fun part of it, I guess. But at the same time, I get a lot of satisfaction of going home and telling that story to my wife or going, you know, going to a buddy's and saying, Hey, I got to tell you the story, you know, or, uh, you know, texting a picture to somebody who's, you know, uh, miles away. It's like, man, you wouldn't believe what just happened. Uh, you know, the people that do have that frame of reference. So I don't know. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah. And I would enjoy the dynamic of watching the clients say it's a mother father or whatever whatever the yeah. relationships are and watch the dynamics and watch them change throughout the day like picturing mm -hmm. the disgruntled teenager like why am i here you yeah know, <laughs> yeah then realizing that it's awesome and seeing them light up once he catches a right. fish or whatever right yeah uh, do you enjoy that side of it too kind of watching how things ebb and flow and the yeah. relational side of that oh i i definitely yeah. enjoy that part of it uh you know we're lucky here in the Keweenaw that we still have pretty spotty, you know, cell service and internet and things like that. You know, I, I look at that in certain ways as a benefit, especially to being outdoors. Yeah. Um, you know, it's great to have a connection, you know, to let people know where you're at and what you're up to. But, um, you know, in the example of getting kids out on the water who, you know, uh, have never been out of sort of an urban environment or very rarely, and, uh, you know, they get on the boat and it's like, oh shoot, the phone doesn't work. You know, I can't be scrolling on Instagram. Uh, you know, seeing them try to figure out how to enjoy themselves. And yeah. That's, uh, you know, the results are mixed. I mean, you can't expect everybody's going to just come out and love it. Right. And they, they don't all, but, um, you know, generally speaking, I'd say people's attitudes towards it really do kind of come along. Um, especially in that example of, you know, the younger kids or teenagers who, you know, they're really more worried about what their friend somewhere is doing right now than what what they're doing with their family. Yeah. And uh, by the end of that trip, you kind of see that come around to, uh, you know, to them being excited and engaging with their family or whoever it is that they're with. Um, that's pretty satisfying. And it's also, you know, it, it's also a little sad when you, you know, when you know that when you do what I do every day and, you, you know, you're so fortunate to have that in your life, 
and then you see people that don't, um, yeah, it's very satisfying to be able to share that with them, uh, really. Um, so I, I find a lot of meaning in my, you know, in my work as a fishing captain doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And outside of that, then I'm curious, what's, uh, and of course it's got to change no matter what you're doing, but like on your average day, you're taking clients out. What are you thinking about the night before? Like condition wise, uh, setup mm-hmm. wise, like on the technical side, what's going right. through your head before you go? Well, I would say at this point today, number one <clears throat> thing is just really the weather. Okay. Um, you know, it's a big lake. It's, uh, it's rough, you know, weather up here. We, I mean, it's rarely a day in the last few years where the wind's not blowing just hard across the Keweenaw. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that's a whole nother thing, but it, it sure seems like we're, we're getting more and more of that type of windy kind of turbulent weather. So that's the thing that keeps me up. Uh, you know, the planning and the, the behind the scenes that that's the real work, I guess, about what I do every day Okay, is, uh, thinking through the trip logistics, um, wanting to provide people with just an exceptional experience and not have one thing about that that really turns them off to ever doing it again. Mm -hmm. And I think weather and, you know, rough water and seasickness and all the things that come with that is probably one of the biggest things that could kill that whole experience for somebody. So um, having seen that, you know, unfortunately a few times, um, you know, I'd say that's that's really what I do the most uh, at night is communicating with clients for the next day's trips and uh, planning those trips to be, you know, safe, efficient, you know, and if all things are equal, then we're, you know, the last thing is where are we going to catch the most fish? But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're lucky here. We have a pretty good fishery and, you know, it's a number of fish is pretty irrelevant, you know, whether we catch five or eight, I don't think that would really ever alter the outcome of a day, uh, you know, most days, I guess. Yeah. And then again, pretty limited on my knowledge of the outside the weather the technical side of it and without giving away like trade secrets or location secrets or whatever else when you are heading out and again this must be to the point where you're not even thinking about it maybe anymore but still what's if somebody was to have to think about it what are they thinking about it like lure selection or i guess can you get into that what are they all what are the things that's going through somebody's mind as they're heading out yeah well um Jane and I were just uh, spending some time with a, a younger fellow here locally who's just getting his guiding license, captain license, and starting out. So it was actually an opportunity to get back into that uh, frame of mind a little bit, mm-hmm. hearing him talking about uh, his first trips and the few trips he's done or doing, um, you know, and what is stressful to him, you know, and that's planning the trip, figuring out, you know, if they're going to be able to catch fish or where they're going to catch the fish. Um, and I would say for me, that is something that, you know, largely has gotten to be about the easiest part of the job. Yeah. Um, you know, I have the knowledge and the equipment that I can go out and improvise. And I think that is just, you know, there's no, you know, there's really no substitution for experience, but that's what allows me to be able to just go out and improvise. And it's a really rare day where I'm out there thinking, man, I've done everything I can do. Uh, the fish just aren't here, you know, more often than not, it's the fish just aren't cooperating. And, you know, that's kind of where having the electronics and the gadgets gives you the confidence to be able to, you know, to be able to see and to, to, to show your clients, Hey, here's what we've got. These fish are being really negative. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes you correlate that with other boats out there. And it's like, yeah, if somebody's struggling out there, oftentimes, you know, everybody's kind of struggling on a tough bite. Um, but in terms of the lures and the rigging, um, day in and day out, there's a lot of maintenance with that, but I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time worrying about, uh, you know, what we're going to put on or, you know, 
what color or anything like that. Um, I spend more time thinking about that at like a macro level in the sense of right now, I, I bought a new boat in December. I'm buying all these electronics and rigging this boat up. And I'm thinking like big picture, I want to make this boat uh, as efficient as it can be. I want to have all these gadgets. Um, I'm thinking about how I'm going to, you know, run a certain spread of lines when I'm trolling and then how I'm going to be able to kind of flip that boat around and uh, get the rods on there to go out jigging or casting. Um, so planning, you know, at a, at kind of this big picture planning right now, picking out the equipment and thinking through all the scenarios I might encounter in the next year or five or 10 years. Um, that's, you know, that's, I would say a little bit stressful because you're making a, a big investment um, and you don't want to have to do that, you know, on repeat, you want to make this big investment and, um, you know, enjoy, enjoy it for a while. So, uh, but I think that is different for somebody just starting out, you know, they're still making that big investment and there's a lot of that stress, but mm -hmm. on top of that, I think there's that kind of the, the, the pride in their work and that, you know, wanting to create a reputation and, um, you know, not have, you know, maybe not having a bad reputation. I mean, we live in kind of a review world where everyone's a, a one or a five or somewhere in between. Mm -hmm. So, um, I would think, you know, the pressure for someone starting out is a lot higher than somebody who's just, uh, been doing it for, for a long time. Yeah. So this would be my 15th season now. So I just, you know, I guess based on that, I was kind of describe it's, it's almost a little bit on autopilot, right? You know, I know what the variables are day in and day out. I kind of just make a plan based on what I'm seeing and, uh, you know, I also can accept that there are going to be tough days because, you know, when you do anything long enough, you realize that's just part of it. Um, you know, and being able to accept that in my mind and not let that really eat away at me. I think that's, uh, you know, I've gotten to that point where I think somebody who's just starting out might beat themselves up a little bit on a tough day yeah. or, or they might feel so bad. They go back to the dock and they, you know, they offer their client a full refund for that day, but it's like, looking at this pragmatically, you know, I, I don't think the value of the day is just built on how many fish you put in the box. It's, you know, again, it's back to that, the experience, the education, you know, and, and the person's time, you know, so if, uh, if somebody's starting out, you know, doing this, I really would recommend that they realize the value of their time and all the experience they built, you know, and that's what they're providing to people. It's not just a fish on the end of the line that day. Right. Right. No, for me, putting myself in the shoes of that captain that's just starting out, the thing that would give me peace is realizing, again, how we talked about and you just talked about too, is that it's about the experience, right? Mm -hmm. It's about how you communicate. It's about what type of a host you are. It's about how inviting you are and how you educate the people, all that stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I feel like that removes a lot of that pressure mm -hmm. of we have to perform, right? Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, it's just even the little things like, uh, you know, I had some groups this last week that wanted to go ice fishing and the ice fishing has been tough this winter. So, you know, I, I communicate very clear expectations with people in those scenarios where if I know, you know, I'm offering a fishing service, right? So if I know the fishing is tough, that's the other thing I find a lot of comfort in is just being very brutally transparent with people. Mm -hmm. Um, even maybe more often than not to the point of conveying, uh, you know, a, a lower than, you know, lower than my own expectation, uh, expectation of the clients. Mm -hmm. And 
I think people, you know, I, I found over time, uh, the, the, the people I've taken that still make the decision to come out, you know, those are the clients you want to take, you mm-hmm. know, um, you've been fully transparent. They come out with, you know, perfectly reasonable expectations. And then more often than not, you can meet those or, you know, blow them away. But, uh, sometimes meeting those or blowing them away, it could just be the little things like bringing the, an extra thermos of coffee or, uh, you know, bringing the, uh, the buddy heater and some hot dogs and, you know, Hey, efficient slow guys. How about we have some hot dogs for lunch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's yeah, experience for sure. Right. Under promise and over deliver. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I guess the, back to the, the fishing side, I guess I'm trying to picture in my head, like, okay, you take, I'm super inexperienced compared to a lot of people, but Western mule deer hunting, I feel like I could break down, uh, this is what I'm curious about in the fishing world, like break down what makes the difference between the guy who isn't successful and the guy who is ultra successful. And then tying that into the fishing world of like, what makes the difference even in like your local finish fishing tournament <clears throat> excuse me between the guy who wins consistently versus the guy who loses consistently and what makes the difference between the amateur and the professional and of course a lot of it's time but it's an unanswerable question but if you can mm. like, what makes that difference between the guy again who wins consistently or it's not that it's about competing but anyways can you sure. touch on that that whole oh yeah i you know i do think about that once in a while um you know, just to give an example, we do have this uh, Keweenaw Bay Lake Trout Festival every year, and the uh, the teams that typically bring in the the bag of fish that wins that or places, you know, very well every year, it's very consistent. I mean, if you go back for like a decade, the same names are consistently being, you know, uh, you know, bringing in these bags of uh, fish that get them in the money. Um, not to answer your question with the question, but consistency is really important. Yeah. You know, being consistent with what you do, um, not, not being totally erratic, um, going out with a plan and some backup ideas in mind, but not, uh, you know, I think some people, regardless of the application, they tend to kind of panic or freak out when things start going a little differently than expected. Um, but I think being kind of level headed, um, you know, as I go out in the morning, set lines, fish for an hour, we don't get any bites. Um, in that scenario, I am starting to think, okay, normally that first hour of the day is the best hour. So we've just passed through that and, uh, the, the, you know, it's going to be all uphill from here. Um, at that point, it'd be easy to start panicking and just, you know, pull the lines in, hit the throttle and go somewhere else. And then, you go there and you have the same thing happen again. Okay, repeat. Next thing you know, you've just you wasted the whole trip just kind of erratically shooting from the hip, trying different things. Um, trying different things is good, but still being systematic and trusting your instincts. Um, you know, you know if you've got a, a spot that you fish and you catch tournament-winning fish on it consistently, you should probably just stick it out. You know, there's days that are, you know, that's where the term grinding it out comes from. Uh, there's those days where you just literally got to stick to what you know is there and effective and has proven itself time and time again and have confidence that that didn't just change overnight. Um, so that's, I guess that's how I would describe consistency. Um, in addition to that, it's, you know, learning and wanting to learn, um, you know, always having kind of a, an appetite for knowledge, whether it's, uh, you know, trying to learn from other fishermen, if they're willing to share, or I find for me, a lot of the learning is by looking at fishermen who are, you know, writing or doing video content completely outside of this area, but similar type of applications 
and try and dissect what they're doing in that location that's working and then applying it here uh, through my own trial and error, you know, and experience, you know, experiments. Um, so that, you know, learning and trying new things is a really important part still. Um, but not abandoning, you know, the, the basics that have always worked. So, uh, for example, if I'm trolling one day, maybe I might try a, a new area for a while. Uh, but I'm going to keep all the lines and the, the way I set those the same. I mean, why would you, why would you abandon what's working in the other spot? You know, mm-hmm. It's just a different spot. Um, but then if I'm fishing a spot that I know very well, you know, then I might get a little more scientific about, uh, changing a certain lure on a certain rod and comparing that to the tried and true on the other side of the boat. That's a great thing about, you know, the big lake trolling is that you're allowed to run three lines a person. So, um, you're just constantly collecting data, you know, mm-hmm. you may not realize it, but every minute you have lines in the water is, uh, you know, data and every fish you catch is a data point that over time, you know, some people keep great logs and records and they can plot this right out and tell you, you know, what color works best on a, a, you know, a rainy cloudy day. I don't keep that detailed of notes, but just by being out there day in, day out, you know, uh, I feel like I have a good recollection of a lot of these things over time and I pay attention to patterns and try to, you know, uh, I guess pattern recognition, you know, try to piece those things together and tease out, you know, anomalies from, you know, things that might actually be the next big tactics. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, not, yeah. Also, you know, like making decisions off of more than one data point, I think is important, whether it's hunting or fishing or, you know, whatever hobby you're into, um, anybody can have a one hit wonder, you know, um, like for example, I think, uh, last year in the lake trout festival, there was a, a team that caught a 38 pound lake trout and I don't even think they weighed five fish and they might've, but uh, I think, you know, they had three or four very small lake trout with that one big lake trout and they ended up winning the tournament, you know, so that, that was kind of like where the, the luck comes into play is, hmm. you know, they, uh, obviously they know how to catch the fish to set the lines, you know, they have the skills there, but, um, you know, they had that one big fish, but to go out and expect one big fish in that same spot again is, you know, it's just one data point. So chances of that happening are not great. So, um, I guess me, the engineering brain kind of looks at things, you know, analytically and looking for the patterns over time that continue to repeat themselves. Yeah. Um, and then I guess the last thing I would say, which is probably something I really feel is important is just attention to detail. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, they, especially if they're new to something, you know, they're so overwhelmed with just the basics, the mechanics of tying a hook onto a line, you know, that type of thing. Um, it's hard to really uh, absorb all the details, but you know, um, the further along you get, you start to, to realize like the type of knot you tie the hook on the line with is actually another important factor in mm-hmm. terms of landing fish or maybe the action of the lure. Um, you know, so really having that attention to detail and, um, you know, I, I feel like that's something that's actually a little bit hard to teach or to train yourself to. I've noticed, you know, among my friends and, you know, fishing associates and everything else, uh, certain people really have that or they don't. So I think it's just harder for some people to, to master the attention to detail and they might have to work a lot harder at that over time to, to reach, you know, the next, you know, to unlock that next level of proficiency. But, um, I guess I would say that's one of the attributes I really think for me personally makes a difference. Mm-hmm. What about, 
that's interesting that whole breakdown and i almost have to frame a lot of my questions because of my inexperience in that world from a hunting perspective i'm picturing from hunting out west you get to the point where you've spent enough time looking at deer watching their behavior seeing them go through their day and, and again you call it animal behavior become fam- very familiar with animal behavior mm-hmm. uh to the point where you see something happening and if, if you have somebody that's never been there before next to you you'd be like hey this deer is likely to do this this and this and then a lot of times that's what they do <laughs> yeah. right is there is there an equivalency to the fish world like do you get to the point where you start to feel like you have a relationship or you understand at least in your head what you expect these fish to do and it seems like from the outside looking in that would be more difficult because you don't have the visual component although you have the technology Mm -hmm. but anyways do you get to the point where you like feel like you really understand as much as you can fish behavior um i i would say to an extent definitely um you know I would say anything outside is really hard to, to, to be a hundred percent confident all the time, Yeah, you know? Uh, but you know, over time with your experiences, you can be 90% confident, I yeah. think, and certain things happening again. Uh, but it is kind of funny. You asked that question. I'm thinking back to a, a certain client and his family that have fished with me a lot of times. Um, uh, I've had the enjoyment of hearing them tell the stories of our fishing trips to other people mm-hmm. and recounting that trip. And, uh, you know, one of the things that struck me in them recounting this trip, uh, was apparently something I said, okay, get ready guys. We're going to get a bite here in about five seconds. Oh, sure enough. There's a fish on, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I mean, I've heard the story a hundred times for the same person telling it to other people. And it just, you know, it, it kind of makes me think a little bit about what you just asked. And it's like, yeah, I guess there is that instinct where you know through doing something a lot you develop a a a very strong educated feeling that something's about to happen and uh you you could apply that to you know reading the electronics and seeing fish on there and how they might you know might bite if they're you know if they're in a certain part of the water column and you know conditions look right but um, also just in terms of like uh, launching your boat uh, venturing away from the landing and uh, you pick a spot to start fishing and that's probably where I would say the gut feel really comes into play. Hmm. Um, you know, it's a huge lake and there's just so many places one could fish. And, I, and there's many places all at the same time in any given day you could go and have success. But, um, you know, reading the, reading the signs, the tea leaves uh, as you're going out across the water and, and, you know, just randomly pulling the throttle back saying, hey, we got to stop here. There's some, some birds sitting on the water right here. There's a temperature break. Um, you know, there's two or three factors that make me think that there's probably something going on here and you set the lines in the water and you don't even get them all in bang there's a fish on Hmm. so i would say you know that's a pretty good parallel to what you made to to the hunting where you kind of looking at the signs but again it's pattern recognition and um you know you you see all the right things and it's like yeah you're you're pretty confident something is going on there yeah and and a lot of again you're never perfect right but a lot of times it is just this gut feeling you can't even explain it but like this is what i think is going to happen it must be that you're again you're you've watched enough of that happen that you just get that gut feeling you sometimes can't even explain why yeah Yeah. (laughs) right yeah there's there's a lot of that i mean you think about even just all the stories you've heard from other hunters or fishermen telling a story and uh you know somewhere in that story they say well i just had this feeling and i did this and that led to their success Mm -hmm. you know i think that's just kind of deep down maybe there's some uh you know some instinct but uh yeah yeah (laughs) you know it's uh it is kind of a neat part of i guess the finding success in whatever your hobby is yeah yeah you know versus making it just totally random and you know never knowing there's always a little bit of never knowing but uh you know i guess it 
you, you can feel better calling yourself a professional, whether you're a guide or an outfitter, or, you know, hunting guide, um, when you can more often than not say something like, I think this is going to happen. And then it does. You mm-hmm. know? So maybe that is kind of the level between professionals and just, you know, the weekend warriors. But I, there's a lot of non-professionals, people that have the same skill set and the same experiences that just, you know, they're not doing it professionally. And yeah, it's, you know, again, it's just, you know, they're experienced and they paid attention to those uh, lessons and learned from it along the way. Mm-hmm. For sure. No. And I think uh, you talked about, it's hard to train somebody's technical or attention to detail. I feel like that is true in the hunting world too. And it's not that one's necessarily better than the other. I think I probably appreciate the more technical side. Cause in the hunting side, I'm that way. Uh, like from a gear perspective or tactics or again, oh, glassing yeah. or this or that, like down to every little detail feels like you can tip the edge in your favor slightly. Right. And it's like, why wouldn't you? Right. Oh yeah. Um, but again, it's, it can be overbearing or, or too much for somebody else's temperament or personality probably. Yeah. And you know, maybe <laughs> just because somebody's not taking that highly technical approach doesn't mean they're ha- not uh, having just as much fun oh, yeah. or, or success as you, you know? Yeah, maybe more fun. I was yeah, saying. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, uh, the saying ignorance is bliss. I mean, that can certainly apply, you know, you go and start catching fish. Yeah, that's great. Ignorance is bliss. You're catching fish, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about how much weight do you put on like lunar charts and fish calendars and that whole world? Is that, uh, that's definitely a thing. I, uh, you know, I can't really say I have the luxury of planning every, day around the cylinder table you know you, you book charters you say i do two a day on average in the summer uh, i do a morning trip and then i'll come in for a quick lunch and i'll go back and do an afternoon trip but uh you definitely notice within that you know that day that there's certain windows of activity where the fish are really active and feeding hmm. and uh that that very strongly correlates to the majors and minors of the the cylinder um I would say if all other factors were the same day in and day out, you know, if I plotted every fish I caught, you know, on a graph, that graph is going to look very similar to huh. that, that lunar table. Um, and I do pay attention to it a lot, but one thing that I, you know, how do I use that when I leave the dock at 6am regardless? Um, let's say I have a five hour charter and the, the cylinder majors or minors, uh, typically occur about five and a half hours apart. So I guess if I do two trips back to back, uh, within each of those trips, there's going to be a major or a minor at some point, just mm-hmm. uh, based on that cycle. Um, so when I know I'm coming into those majors or minors, the one thing I don't want to be doing is, um, uh, you know, during those times, I don't want to be pulling lines and running and making a move, especially on a tough day. If you're really, you know, grinding things out, um, keeping your lines in the water, fishing the spot you have the most confidence in with the lures you have the most confidence in, um, during those times really is a factor in, you know, eking out those few fish that, you know, maybe that's all you're going to catch that day. But, um, that's definitely a time not to waste time. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, what about in the deer hunting world? Is that something you like the lunar side of things? I've I've got thoughts on it, but I'm curious for you. Is that something you pay attention to? Well, I've, I haven't followed it as religiously in terms of, you know, my stand activity or, you know, I I think it's a little different when you're walking through the woods because you're bumping into deer on your, you know, your own terms, not necessarily theirs. So, um, but in terms of, you know, just actual movement, you know, of their own, um, I haven't really found a strong correlation to it. Although, you know, certainly I, I do believe it's a factor. Mm. I just haven't had enough 
experience to inform exactly how that uh, is a factor. Yeah. And I don't either. Uh, I also haven't researched it, but in the deer hunting side of things, I've a, my schedule is like when I can go, I'm going regardless. Right. right? Yeah. Um, but then you do get back to where it's in my head, my, I would have answered, Hey, I don't think it's a thing. I don't even mm-hmm. know what the data says. I'd have to go look it up. Sure. Um, but again, I go back to like that same deal of like, Hey, you can go, just go. Who cares yeah. what the data says? But right. for whatever reason, the fishing side of it seems way more realistic or legitimate than the deer hunting side of it. I yeah. don't know why that is. Well, you know, I, being a, somebody that likes to learn, I, I've definitely looked into it a lot in terms of the fishing side and why it's a thing or why people believe it's a thing. Um, you know, I, I'm a hundred percent convinced just my own, you know, in my own empirical data that I've collected, you know, on my boat catching fish at certain times and looking at the graphs, it lines up really well. But, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of doing research on the topic, I've kind of, uh, you know, found a few things, you know, reading online, kind of technical publications and stuff. Um, one of the first experiments where, you know, it was kind of documented that, uh, these solar times are triggering feeding, you know, in marine life. Uh, there was this experiment, I don't know, somewhere out east, they had some oysters, uh, you know, out, out in the ocean on a bar. They noticed, you know, as the moon passes over, they open up and filter feed. Uh, when it sets, they, you know, did the same thing. And, uh, you know, they, they correlated it to that. But of course, in the ocean, you've got tides. So um, those would be logical points of inflection for food coming and going to, you know, where everything should be you know, to be efficient as an organism, they should be expending their effort at the points where they're most likely to be successful, you know, as the tides bringing food by them mm-hmm. in that case. Um, however, in this study, they, they took these shellfish and they put them in a, a sterile aquarium environment, brought them inside, you know, where there's no, no sunlight, no moonlight, just, you know, <laughs> literally in a fish tank sitting on this desk right here. And, uh, they found that they still continued to filter feed in that tank as the moon was coming around. So Hmm. they, you know, they felt whatever that gravitational uh, pull or whatever you want to call it, they could sense that. And they were using that as their stimulus to feed. Now that's a shellfish. That's not a, you know, salmon or halibut or something like that. But I think, um, you know, comparing in the saltwater fishing we've done, um, it's very easy to see why those majors minors affect the fish because that's your tide, uh, your inflection points from high to low and uh, in between. Um, that really drives the movement of food and just, you know, stuff getting, uh, you know, uh, moved around through current and whatnot. Um, so it's, you know, in any of the saltwater fishing I've done, that is a really huge factor in finding fish and catching fish. Yeah. Um, but then coming back to freshwater, it is a mystery to me why that is such a, an important factor, but the fi- I can tell you for sure, you know, the fish really do relate to that that you know gravity or the moon effect whatever it is um you know in terms of triggering their feeding and uh, where this becomes really really obvious is on a on a tough day where the fish are not biting that well and you might go out at 6 a.m crack of dawn which you know conventional wisdom you know grandpa's advice was get out there early and you catch fish um and yeah, that's often true. You know, sun, sunrise, sunset, the change of the photo period, that's a whole different va- uh, variable from the moon, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that triggers activity for fish. You know, there's uh, bait fish that go in at night and feed up shallow. And, uh, you know, they're heading out to deeper water first thing in the morning. So, you know, the bigger predator fish are there to ambush them and they're feeding. It, that makes sense if you kind of 
think about it in that terms. Um, but you know, I've had those days where you go out at 6am, you know, there were fish there yesterday. Uh, you're still seeing bait fish around and you don't even get a hookup. You don't even have a bite. And if you, you know, anytime that happens, my instinct is always just to look at the cylinder chart and I expect to see that we're in like a cylinder low when that is happening. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I've ever been wrong. Hmm. Like the fish should be biting. I know they're here. They're not biting. So we must be at a cylinder low. Right. And, um, you know, in, in those certain situations, you know, this is one of those things where you just ask the question, um, you know, about that instinct and the gut or, you know, having some sort of reading on the situation. And uh, more often than not, on those tough days, I'll kind of flip my phone out. Say, oh, yeah, we're in a minor or, or, or a low rather. And, uh, you know, I'll tell the clients on the boat, I'll say, all right, guys, I'm going to tell you about this, you know, the cylinder phase because we're in a really bad cylinder right now. But from 10 to 11 a.m., it's going to turn on. <laughs> and I mean, people are blown away. At first, you know, I can tell their eyes kind of roll back and you just know that they're thinking, okay, the guy's doing his job. He's keeping us, you know, hopeful and upbeat about the situation. And, you know, when I tell them all this and I'm, you know, very matter of factly and, you know, I believe this stuff and uh, you just can tell like most of the time people don't really know what to think at that mm -hmm. point. But then, you know, 10 to 11 rolls around and all of a sudden you catch three fish in that hour, didn't even get a bite the rest of the day. It's like, man, there was something to that. Yeah. It, I was curious to myself if there's like a confirmation bias thing, right? Like you expect to do that and you're more likely to be fishing more heavily at that point. But it sounds like it again, not having been through it, it feels like that's, uh, at least from your perspective, a non-arguable fact almost, right? Yeah. I, you know, it's always hard to remove a uh, confirmation bias from the equation, but, um, you know, I feel like I can be objective and, you know, honest with myself in that situation. And, um, you know, it's just, I've, I've had to prove it to myself more often than not. Yeah. Um, you know, the first, uh, the first time I ever, looked at the moon phase and experienced something that was like an epiphany in regards to that. Um, I was probably, I don't know, maybe 16, I, I 16, 18, somewhere in there. Um, I got a, a watch for Christmas that had all the sonar stuff on it. Mm -hmm. You know, grandpa got me this watch. It was a fishing watch. It seemed really cool. You know, it was a cool watch. But uh, that was the first time I'd ever been exposed to like these moon phases and time to, you know, time for the fish to bite concept. And uh, so I, you know, read the manual, calibrated this thing. And, uh, you know, a day or two later, I was going ice fishing with my dad, um, ice fishing for perch. So we drove out, you know, got on this bay at, you know, the crack of dawn or before dawn. We uh, go out to, you know, where we think the fish might be grill our holes, set our lines. And, uh, we had a fish finder. So we're marking fish and they were, they were just stacked. You know, there was fish everywhere. Hmm. And I think we fished three hours on, you know, perch fishing, we fished three hours and didn't catch one. And, um, you know, at that point you're wondering like, okay, maybe these marks on the fish finder are suckers or carp, or maybe they're, you know, non-target species, you know, they're not eating a minnow. So, um, I also, I think we also had an underwater camera that trip. So this is where it all, again, using the gadgets, you know, the technology is a lens into the natural world that just really allows you to understand why things are the way they are sometimes. And as a fairly scientific person, I just love that. So we, we had this fish finder, we see there's fish there. We had the camera, we put it down, we spin this around and we can see our jigs 
and all of a sudden, oh, there's a bunch of perch, and they're literally circling the jigs. You know, they're all about a foot away from it, and they're just staring at the jig, but hmm. not one of them was coming up, you know, to, to taste it, bite it, whatever. So, you know, very strange behavior. The fish were just in a super negative mood. Uh, you know, we tried different lures and different things. You know, nothing really seemed to work. So, you know, it's getting late in the morning, 1030, something like that. And I had this brand new watch on. It's like, oh, well, it says the fish are going to bite from 11 to noon, you know. And it's just like at this point, it's like it's kind of a joke, you know. Clearly, the fish weren't biting that day. So, right. you know, Dad and I kind of said, okay, well, let's give it till noon, you know. We'll fish the, the predicted hour. And I'm really not kidding. I think it was like 10.55. All of a sudden, one of these perch, like, swims out of the pack, bites. We reel it up. It's like, okay, that's cool. Drop the jig back down. Same thing. For the next hour, we caught a two-man limit of perch. I think it was like 25 perch per person where we were at. And as soon as it started, you know, about 11, 11, 15, all of a sudden these fish just kind of slow down and taper off, and then they kind of stop biting. Because, you know, I think we were at a point where we were letting smaller fish go, trying to keep a little bit bigger ones, you know, so we were sorting them a little bit. And uh, I just got to a point where all of a sudden they stopped biting. So it's like we were done. <laughs> and, I mean, that was like the first time where it's like, wow, this was insane. You know, again, that was one data point. So you can't make a conclusion from that. But right. that sure turned me on to it. And uh, after that, I started paying attention to this. And, uh, you know, over many, many years since then, I guess I've just really cemented that in my mind that, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. Is that pretty universally accepted? Like almost across the board by serious fishermen, say locally that you run into? Is, is everybody pretty much agree with that? I, I mean, the people that are aware of it, I think generally accept it, but... Okay. I've had a lot of people that, you know, have little to no awareness of it as a, as a, you know, a factor. Um, and then I've had people ask me about it, like, Hey, what you just like you just did. Right. Um, you know, do you think this is a thing? So I, I don't think there's a overwhelming consensus on this, but I would say like, you know, if there's five boats out trolling around in the middle of the day and the fish aren't biting, you know, four of those boats typically leave. I might be the fifth boat if I know that, you know, we've got a solenter coming up. So I do, I do feel like if everybody knew this was a thing, they would probably plan their trips around it a lot more than they do. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, limited schedules sometimes make it where there's no, no option, right? You can make it right. Out and, yeah. yeah. Huh. I've got, uh, I've got one last follow-up question. Unless yeah. you've got anything else, is there something I'm missing? Any exciting parts of it that we didn't talk about that we should have talked about? Boy, I don't know. Not that nothing stands out, you know. Um, I think we've covered a lot of bases. Um, you know, I guess in terms of what I'm excited about looking ahead, you know, thinking about all this is probably just, uh, it, let me reframe this. Um, a question I've gotten from other people is when you do something you're excited about every day and you kind of turn it into work, you know, does that excitement fade away for that, uh, that hobby and that thing you enjoy? Hmm. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of different times to stop and think about that question. And, uh, I guess what I would say is for me personally, it hasn't changed my excitement or my enthusiasm for that hobby. And the way I check myself with that is that I still go out fishing on my days off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I might have a charter on Thursday and a charter on Saturday. And if I didn't have anything else going on Friday, I'd be out fishing. That would be what I do on my day off. So, um, it doesn't change that, but in terms of how I do my hobby on my day off, 
I find myself uh, doing it in a different way. So for example, you know, if I, if I troll five days a week with clients and we're catching, you know, coho, lake trout, whatever, um, and I have a day off immediately following that, um, more likely than not, I'm not going trolling <laughs> in the, yeah. those same areas. Um, you know, I, that's where I kind of like to go with the rod in hand, jigging, casting and exploring. And, uh, for me, you know, I'll just go for a boat ride, see if I can find some fish that I didn't know were there in a certain spot at a certain time. And, uh, if I can catch one or two while I'm there, that's awesome. You know, so for me, just catching one or two is like, yep, found them, you know, mm-hmm. so that's, that's almost the satisfaction uh, that I get out of it. But yeah, you know, where I do draw a lot of inspiration still and excitement for my hobby is kind of, you know, thinking bigger about the world, you know, it's, uh, you know, not just our backyard, but looking at all the opportunities that, you know, this hobby, uh, allows for my wife and I to, to take off and spend time together and, uh, to see some really cool places and meet some really interesting people, um, you know, when we travel. So I think for us, you know, having this really strong, uh, you know, uh, passion for this, this certain hobby has really helped us to get out more and to, you know, to have more interesting experiences when we travel, uh, versus just, you know, going somewhere new and seeing what kind of food they have, or, you know, that's all part of it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, having that activity that gets you out there and uh, allows you to connect with the people there, the locals, um, that's been really cool. You know, so we, we just got back from a trip down in, uh, the Bahamas and we fly fished for bonefish for about a week and uh you know it's caught all sorts of random stuff barracudas and sharks and everything else but you know it's uh yeah it's just really cool like I don't think we would have had that type of experience going to the, to the Bahamas as just a uh, you know resort goers you know and I don't mm-hmm. even know if that would be fun to us <laughs> so um yeah I don't know I just kind of thinking about like kind of what's next and keeping that fuel going it's uh, it's a lot of that like you know the world's big so while we're able to let's get out and enjoy it yeah and that was kind of be, be my last question is like what are you excited about next and where do you see yourself in 20 years obviously you can never predict it but yeah what are you excited about on the fishing front and that sounds like that's it traveling seeing new things and fishing new places eh? yeah it's a big part of it yeah, yeah i think uh i mean you know that with this type of hobby there's just never a limit to it you know it's limitless and even just even if you narrow that down and say, okay, my hobby is lake trout fishing in Lake Superior, it's still pretty limitless. Unless you've caught a state record, there's still one swimming around out there. So, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Yeah. And it's interesting for me. Like I remember when I was, I think my second year of college, I went to Costa Rica and I told myself, Hey, every year I'm going to go to a tropical vacation, do this and that. And then got exposed to like what I got in the Western hunting world and whatever. It's like, I don't care about beaches. I want to go out west. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, right, right. It's funny how your perspectives change. And once you have that introduced, it's hard to even imagine. I'm sure I'll do it again someday, like for my kids or my yeah. wife or whatever else. But sitting on a, a beach for a week in Florida versus spending time in the mountains out west, there's not even a comparison. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you're in your niche. And, uh, you know, I think I find a lot of satisfaction <clears throat> doing doing things in my niche. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Yeah. And I, I think that's a common theme I've seen with other people, you know, whether your hobby is golf and you travel and golf or, you know, things like that. It's, uh, yeah, it seems like the people that have the most fun are the people doing what they enjoy, you know, and translating that across all the different you know places they go. Yeah. And finding that context, no matter where you go, you, I mean, fishing is a universal, right? Right. No matter where you go, you can learn about their fishing, try it out hear their history, try their different mm-hmm. ways of preparing it or whatever, right? It's a whole lens yeah. to look at everywhere you go. It really is. Yeah. 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 You mentioned that, you know, trying the, trying the fish and different ways it's cooked. 
probably one of the funniest things is, uh, you know, I love to fish, but I, I don't eat a lot of fish in a, a month, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of people that know me, uh, get a kick out of that. But, um, that is one thing I will say traveling has really broadened my perspectives on eating fish because, um, you know, getting out and trying some of these saltwater fish in different places, it's just amazing. Like, you know, it's, it's such a different experience that, you know, can be had. So, um, yeah, it just kind of really broadens your perspectives and opens your eyes to different things that you may have even kind of previously dismissed a little bit. Yeah. What's the most surprising or enjoyable travel fish preparation that you've had? Oh boy. Well, I think surprising would be, you know, going, oh geez, going down to like, uh, we, we did our honeymoon in Belize and, uh, ceviche is like, you know, a national dish practically there. Um, if it's not beans and rice, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's like, you know, it's a raw fish they put in lime juice and, uh, basically that doesn't really cook it, but it kind of, you know, makes it edible, I guess. Um, and I've never been a fan of sushi or raw stuff. It's just, you know, the texture and everything else. It's just never, never really been my thing. You know, it, my wife loves it, but, um, traveling there and experiencing that and just being open-minded to it, I was blown away, uh, how much I could like a pretty well raw fish cut in little chunks, <laughs> you know? And, and, and could you do that around here? Like, do people do that with a lake trout or a salmon yeah, or something like that? I or what? don't think it's a thing with freshwater fish on okay. account of the, you know, there are freshwater parasites oh, that, sure. um, could be like frozen out of fish or okay. cooked out. Um, I think that's a little different with the salt water, but say, having said that, I just, uh, I just handed off a frozen white fish to, uh, to, to my sister-in-law who's very excited about food preparations and such. And, hmm. uh, she's going to attempt to do a, a, a white fish ceviche hmm. and see if we can try to try to replicate that experience with uh, something more local. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what you find out. Yeah. Well, likewise, uh, if we do, we'll have to, uh, yeah, we'll have to share the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Travis, I appreciate it. It's fun to hear about, again, the trajectory. We could go on all day, uh, on the hunting side or the fishing side or whatever else, but yeah, just kind of fun to hear about the, yeah, the trajectory, the technical side. And then again, what that flow has been for you as far as your relationship to fishing and has it dampered that or whatever. It's just fun to hear about it all. So I appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, and I enjoyed talking with you. I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, some of your adventures and uh, obsessions here coming up. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Hey, guys. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have and you feel so inclined, share this podcast with your friends, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen, and give us some feedback with a review. Until next time, thank you.